welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your New Comics Wednesday episode for October 27th, 2021. And there's quite a few books, sort of. <laughs> it's uh, the comic industry. I don't know if you've heard. There's a paper shortage going on. There's no paper left anywhere in Europe. They're not even printing anything for the rest of the year at the European printing companies. Um, so it's hard to know like what's coming out. There's a bunch of image books this week that were supposed to come out last week that got pushed to this week. And then there's other books that were listed that are listed as coming out from image today that we didn't even get press previews for like big books. And granted paper shortage shouldn't necessarily mean that we don't get the press previews. Cause last week we got press previews for a bunch of books that didn't come out last week and are coming out this week. So I, all that to be to say that uh, for the rest of the year, if we cover something that's not actually out, I apologize. And if we don't cover something that is coming out again, I, I apologize. So like, for instance, just looking through on, on one of the sites I go to, to look at release dates, crossover nine, Donnie Kate's book is supposed to be out today as well as good Asian number six and hell cop number one. And I, we did not get any press previews for any of those. So I, uh, and also primordial, primordial number two from Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. So are, are they delayed? Are they, are they not delayed? Are they going to be out? Like, I, I don't know. I know crossover is out. I don't know why we didn't get a, a press preview. So I, I, I don't know, guys, things are just, things are way up in the air. I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of a struggle right now to, to know what's coming out and, and what dates or whatever. So some of the books that we talked about last week aren't coming out till this week in terms of image books. So we're just going to, we're going to talk about books that we think are coming out today for the most part. Uh, a couple of Marvel books we're going to talk about, like Spider-Woman were supposed to come out last week for sure coming out today. So Again, apologies if we're if you know from now to the end of the year that if we cover something that isn't out yet or or we miss covering something that that did come out, it's just kind of a tough situation right now with the the whole paper shortage. So we're going to kick it off with an aftershock book that we think is coming out. It's Search for Hugh number two. It's from writer John Sui and Steve Orlando. Rubin is the artist. DC Alonzo handles the colors and Carlos Mangual on letters. What'd you think of this one, Jay? I like it. Uh, well, I think it's kind of cool is that we get a little bit of uh, like flashbacks with uh, the main character, Aaron, like he was in the military and his partner, uh, she's a sergeant, but he goes by, uh, she goes by MK. So from the last first issue, he's trying to figure out why his, uh, his mom and his dad were attacked. So he's going uh, overseas to uh, meet the, I guess, the family, the head of the family. He's a Margolis, and the family they have a feud with is the Hugh family. So after the first issue, he, there was a gunfight that he uh, witnessed. He kind of saved uh, his family members, I guess you can say. They were cousins. But now he's just trying to meet the family in this episode or this issue to uh, getting good with them so he can uh, they can trust him. So in order to trust them, they got to send them on like on a mission to see if they can actually truly trust this guy. Uh, it's it's good. It's got some action in it. I like the story. I like the concept behind it. The ending, though, is I think uh, Aaron's got his own ideas of how he wants to settle things. So it kind of leaves you wondering what's going to happen the next one. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason he went there to, uh, was to kind of set things right, make sure his family was safe since they, his father and mother got attacked back home in America. And so... It's, it's this is book is interestingly paced, you know, and I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. You know, I love Aftershock titles, but the one drawback for Aftershock is because now that they just do four or five issue minis, sometimes I feel like their stories don't have enough real estate, enough page, page count's not high enough for them to, to breathe, to give the story all the room that it needs. Um, and it may not be that this story needs more than five issues. But the pacing just feels a little uneven. Um, at times, it moves along at, a, at a, what I think feels a good pace for the story. At other times, it feels rushed. Now, that's a very strange thing to happen in a comic. Usually, one of two things happens. Either they nail the pacing or they don't, uh, right? Like, 
either it's paced too fast or it drags or it, it, and the, you know, you feel like the pacing's wrong or it moves along at the perfect pace. It's very rare for a comic at some places to feel like it's moving at the correct pace. And then at other times feel like it's going too fast. So uh, I guess it's just comes down to what they want to show and, and how they want to tell the story. But overall it's, it's a fantastic story. Aaron's a very compelling character and you know, I, I did talk a little bit about the first issue in terms of like Aaron's a soldier, but that doesn't make him like James Bond, right? But when we start seeing some flashbacks of what he was capable of doing when he was in the army, special forces, I'm assuming, um, it makes sense what he's able to accomplish in the in kind of current time. So yeah, it's a good, good series. Definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, okay, first book I'm going to talk about is from image it's a man among ye we're up to issue number seven this is written by stephanie phillips we have art by josh george uh colors by john Kalis. letters by troy petrie um if you don't remember it's basically the story of female pirates real actual living human uh human <laughs> of course human uh but real historical figures uh and bonnie and mary reed and they got captured and uh, and we saw in the last issue how they were able to to break out but they have a bounty on their heads so there's plenty of people uh, after them plus there's a twist with mary's old captain who was kind of her lover i would say sort of like husband but they never actually officially got married but uh, what i love about this series is first of all that it's continuing uh, because it was originally supposed to be five issues but it sold well enough that they're continuing it. So I love that. I love the strong female characters. I love kind of the brutality of it. You know, it's a, it's, it is a reminder that back in this time period in the late 1800s, life was brutal back then, you know, uh, especially for women. And Stephanie Phillips doesn't pull any punches. She gives us strong female characters here. And although there's not a lot that we know with hundred percent accuracy about Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, that the actual kind of ambiguity with what actually happened in their history is what allows for the creative freedom that Stephanie uses to, to paint a very rich and exciting story of, of pirates. So we see how Anne got together um, with the, uh, I can't remember what his name is. Uh, Rockham. That's who it is. John, John Rockham, uh, who was the, the captain on the ship, in the first issue when we first met Ann Bonnie. Uh, so we see how those two first met and got together. And then we kind of see where, where uh, Captain uh, Rackham is now and how he's coming after Ann Bonnie. So, um, you know, I talked before about the, the change in, in artists. It's not quite as detailed, but uh, I think Josh George does an incredible job of building uh, suspense and he handles the action really well. And this is, this is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> there's a, there's plenty of blood and uh, and violence, as you would expect in a pirate comic. So um, there's not there's never enough pirate comics out there. So this is this is fantastic and continues to be really good. Definitely pick it up. Definitely check it out. It's uh, it's well worth your time. Uh, all right, here's another book that's near and dear to Jay's heart from Image and Twelve Gauge Productions. It's vinyl issue number five from writer Doug Wagner. Art is by Daniel Hilliard. Colors are by Dave Stewart and letters are by Ed Dukeshire. Is this the uh, the final issue? Are we down to the end here? I think we're getting close. I, uh, there's a little cliffhanger at the end, so it's not quite there yet. But yeah, you're right. It's one of my favorite books. Because uh, I like the storytelling and I like the artwork, the artist that does the work. It's bloody, it's brutal, and I just uh, it's perfect for Halloween, I think. <laughs> but I always like the gory stories. As we know from the last uh, issue, we know that uh, the main character has old timers, so he's got to have music so he keeps his memory fresh and going. So that's why he always has headphones on. Uh, a lot of his, uh, I guess, uh, his cronies have been uh, been been taken out, and so as the uh, I guess the cult members have been taken out too. So uh, in this one, we have Rennie. Uh, she keeps a promise from the two. Uh, the a group called the twins which is kind of creepy what she does but she made a promise and she kept it uh, main character i said is walter and um he finally gets to hear some music you know he kind of gets that fan who he is it's pretty good uh there's a lot of blood there's a lot of gore in this one and uh the ending is really good because 
we get to see that, you know, it's uh, like the final stand for, for Walter. So it's going to be pretty good. I think the next issue is going to be pretty good. Yeah, it's a book. Uh, I say this every time. I, I definitely want to read it. I just have not found the time. I have so many books in my to-read pile. It's, it's extensive. So uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, first Marvel book I'm going to talk about this week is Black Widow. We're up to issue number 12, uh, written by Kelly Thompson, pencils by Elena Casagrande. Elisabetta D'Amico handles the inks, Jordi Blair on colors, Corey Petit on letters. This is your Eisner winning title for best new uh, series this year. And this is a fantastic issue uh, as the series is, you know, it's, it's an award-winning series. There's a reason for that. So we start off this issue with some kind of emotional moments between um, Winter Soldier and Natasha as it pertains to her her husband and her son that she gave up early in the series based on the fact that she was wanting to protect them. And then like I've been saying um, for the past couple issues, this book has really felt much more like a, an ensemble book uh, almost more than a, than a black widow title. Natasha is clearly sort of the linchpin that keeps these characters together, but there's, there's other characters that come in and out. Like I said, this issue we have, the Winter Soldier, we also have Hawkeye, Clint, the Clint Barton version. Uh, White Widow has been in the last couple of issues, as has Spider-Girl, and then a new character, uh, Lucy Nguyen, who has kind of electrical powers. So based on the information that uh, Natasha learned uh, last issue about these twins kind of trying to manipulate things in San Francisco and put themselves as sort of the head of the, the crime family, that launches uh, an investigation where Natasha puts this team together and she wants to, to find out what's going on. Um, and so they head to a party, this, this really kind of swanky ball, if you will, or gala. And as usual with this cast of characters, you don't expect things to go well, and they, they really don't. But the best thing about the issue maybe is at the end, where we're introduced to a new character, um, which I, I won't spoil, but there's even a little bit of back matter that says... Uh, you know, who is this character? How come Black Widow fears him? And we get like a character design. And uh, on the last page, when Natasha comes face to face with this guy and he says, hello, there's a flashback to Madripoor years ago when Natasha had like the short reddish hair, more red than orange as it is now. And, uh, and there's clearly history between these two characters. So um, when you think about Black Widow and certainly the way Kelly Thompson has portrayed Natasha in this title specifically, you're talking about the best fighter in the, the Marvel universe. Maybe the argument could be made that Captain America is up there as well. Maybe they're equal, maybe one slightly better than the other. It, it doesn't really matter. But the point is as formidable as black widow is this new character, is somebody she's scared of somebody she fears. So, I mean, it's just fantastic. The way this character is presented, uh, kind of the mystique ar around them, uh, I, I thought it was brilliantly done. And it, what it does is it, it makes you want to read the next issue immediately. And, and we get a, um, a peek at the cover as well, the Adam Hughes regular cover for Black Widow 13, which Kelly Thompson shared a few, uh, maybe a month ago or so, which is just a fantastic cover. And again, it, it goes to, sh to show just how formidable this new character might be. It's It's absolutely fantastic. So... Uh, yeah, I continue to love what uh, Kelly Thompson and company are doing on Black Widow. And I know I've mentioned this a ton of times, but uh, it's worth mentioning again that Elena Casagrande has leveled up in terms of just doing incredible artwork on this series. She's come so far since the, the first uh, series I saw her work on, which was uh, Vigilante Southland. Uh, the art is just spectacular. So uh, again, another series I highly recommend. Uh, okay, for Jay, up next, we have another image title. It's Time Before Time. This is written by Declan Shalvey and Rory McConville. We have art by Declan Shalvey in this particular issue. Uh, Chris O'Halloran on colors and Hassan Atzman Elhow on letters. I was going to say, uh, this story is a little different because we kind of don't talk about the main characters like we have in the last uh, five issues. This one deals with a uh, character, Oscar Gomez, as he goes back to 1994 to uh, look for someone that kind of uh, deserted the syndicate. 
which was neat was when, uh, when I was reading the first couple of years, I was like wondering what would happen if you were outside the time machine. So in this issue, we kind of see what happens if you're not inside the time machine. So they, um, the other character that uh, they run into is uh, Maloney, and he kind of ends up like Hoffa, I guess, in the story, which is kind of interesting. But I liked it. It was kind of a, a little bit... Uh, they went a different route with the story. It's not following the main characters. So uh, I guess there were just, there's a reason for this. I guess we'll find out the next issue, but it's not bad. I, I do enjoy the story a lot. The artwork is fun. And the colors just make it more, I mean, make it work for me. Did you get a chance to read it or no? Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> this has been a title that's, while it's been good, I, I still don't know that I have a grasp on what the heck is going on. You know, like it's, it's <laughs> jumped around so much. I mean, I, I do appreciate the way they handle time travel. And, and you know, they've mentioned it several times. I think it's mentioned again in this issue where they they say, basically, if you go back in time, you can't screw anything up. You know, you something will always prevent you or events that were, are supposed to happen will end up happening. Maybe, you know, a different uh, catalyst for it or whatever. So there's there's no there's no butterfly effect. There's no changing time uh events are sort of immutable so i do i I definitely like that aspect um and so it's not that i don't like the series i I think they're building the the creators are building something bigger than i necessarily thought when you talk about time travel a lot of times you think oh this story is going to be huge in scope because there's so many possibilities and ways the stories can go with branching off to different paths because every time a character makes a choice there's infinite you know when you talk about uh string theory or, or whatnot, or, you know, infinite number of choices branching out. Well, it's not that way. We were, you know, we learn and the, for right in the first issue, okay, well, there's just one path and time just follows that and events unfold. Um, sort of like, I don't know, the matrix, I guess, with the one and destiny, whatever. You <laughs> yeah. You can't change your destiny. Um, so when I heard that in my mind, I immediately contracted the story down to think, okay, it's not going to be a huge story in terms of scope. It does have time travel, but that's sort of incidental to the actual story, which is a crime noir story about two different, basically warring clans. You know, you got the union, you got the syndicate. So you could even take the time travel aspect out of it. Instead of saying they're traveling through time, they could just be traveling around the world, smuggling I don't know, gold or drugs or, you know, some other kind of currency uh, and not going, you know, back and forth through time, um, which would make it a little less confusing. But again, it feels like a story that's smaller in scope. And then as it p- has played out, what we've discovered is, no, the story is just as big in scope as if it was, you know, an infinite number of timelines, but it's, it's large in scope because it's a huge cast of characters and there's all these ramifications from the actions that people have um, have done, you know, and the choices that they're making. And it's not because time is changing. It's just because, yeah, people are making different choices and there's a lot of consequences. So it's still a really big story, just in a different way than I expected. So uh, I, I do sort of feel like this might be one of those series that benefits from a director's cut. I'd get a lot more out of it. It's just so yeah. I, part of it is that I read so many comics. It's too hard to remember and keep everything straight. Well, I understand. I want those. I want those notes from the creator. So I understand what their intention is. Um, so I don't miss anything. Well, I like it, but I guess the only thing is like the big mystery is like who created these time, who made these, who made these pods and how these fa- two families out of all the mafia families, you know, or, or yeah. crime syndicates, why did these two get them? So they haven't answered that yet. So I'm, I'm waiting for that, you know, uh, reveal. Yeah, and what's the end? What's the end game? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's not really for like they, they move people around to protect them. I got that, but it seems like the timeline is always the same years. They don't really go to different. Yeah. it's always the same time frames. But why those time frames? Yep, hasn't been explained at all. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to talk about another image book, and this one is something really different. It's Echo Lands number three. I've talked about each issue as it's come out. Uh, it's from. Creators J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. They are the co-creators and the co-writers. J.H. Williams handles the art and design. Dave Stewart on colors. Todd Klein on letters. I will remind everybody once again that this comic is uh, it's landscape as a por- as opposed to portrait. You know, so usually when you open a comic, you have the spine and it's 
you know, the long end of the comic will turn that comic 90 degrees. And that's the way this one opens. So the spine is actually what you would normally consider the top of the, the comic, I guess you'd say. So it really suits J.H.'s William, J.H. Williams style. Um, and we, we were introduced to sort of a Dungeons and Dragons type adventure party uh, in the first issue with this girl, Hope, who steals this gem from this wizard who rules over San Francisco. Um, and she, she's sort of a thief and, and she's with her, her D&D gang that are kind of gangs of, of thieves. And sort of the unwritten code is you don't steal from the wizard because the wizard's really powerful. Obviously, it's it's San Francisco, but it's it's sort of a different reality and a different world. You can think of it as just way in the future or in the past where things unfolded differently. There's like magic and dragons and all these different lands and everything's sort of divided up. It's definitely post-apocalyptic. We've heard about the, the kingdom of Chicago. Obviously, San Francisco is a kingdom. And this wizard is trying to sort of unite the world under his rule um and so it's it's been a little bit about kind of establishing the world and and the way things work and who all these characters are while they're on the run from this wizard that's chasing after them because hope stole this gem um and that's been what's been going on for the first couple of issues but in this issue we're introduced to a place called treasure island for the first time uh which very much looks like and I, I, again, I don't think J.H. Williams did this on, on purpose at all in terms of just because the Internals movie is out right now. But it reminds me a little bit of Jack Kirby Eternals and a little bit of Jack Kirby Fourth World. It's clear that, um, that J.H. Williams is pulling in inspiration from things that Kirby has done in the past. There's also inspiration from some like old classic horror movies uh, where some characters that are portrayed in black and white. And he calls them the monochrome morons because they're black and white. So, you know, it's, it's a limited color palette. Um, and so I just really appreciated that J.H. Williams is, is building this fantasy world, this fantasy adventure world. And he's mashing up all these sort of beloved, amazing, like pop culture nerd stuff like Jack Kirby. That's bringing in all kinds of comics. Like I mentioned how the party feels like it's they're a D&D uh, adventure group and then at the end one of the uh characters ends up separated from the rest and he ends up on this island where um there's this giant figure that appears to him and i won't spoil what the figure looks like but all i will say is it's bringing in yet another kind of very classic um sort of nerd nerddom you know um so i wouldn't be surprised if in the future we see things like like video games show up or um, God, I don't, I, I don't even know, like baseball cards or, 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 you know, music. And, and so in that way, it's not completely dissimilar from uh, undiscovered country, which has been celebrating Americana in a different way from um, Scott Snyder and, and Charles soul or, or crossover, which has been celebrating in a different way. Um but this is clearly its own thing. And it's got this amazing art by J.H. Williams, like I said. So uh, I love this. It is fantastic. This is, in my mind, it's been fantastic all throughout. But this issue, issue three, it's, it's gone to the next level. So the first couple of issues, I was excited because it felt like something new and something fresh. And it's technically a very beautiful book with J.H. Williams art. But this third issue has has raised it up from just being a technically very good comic that you want to read and appreciate for the craft to being like, okay, this is really cool. I can't wait to see what kind of classic nerd thing J.H. Williams is going to bring in next. Is it going to be you know video games? Is it going to be, um, I don't know, uh, like to classic toys? Uh, who knows? Like Stretch Armstrong or Slinkies or or you know just all the the cool stuff. At least from my generation, like when we were kids, 70 Saturday morning cartoons could be another one. Um, like, I just have no idea where it's going to go next. And it, it's all weaved together. So, so well. And, you know, right when the first issue came out, I was excited enough that I, I reached out to JH and I was like, ah, we, need, we should have you come on and talk about it. And he was amenable to that. And I was like, ah, you know, let's give it a couple of issues because I, I kind of want to see where it's going to go and, and be sure that I have things to talk about with him. And now, now I feel like, Oh, now I have a lot to talk about 
but at the same time, maybe I wait one more issue to see if he brings in another classic thing uh, that we can talk about. So I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But that last page was was just fantastic. Uh, so if you're just a fan of gorgeous art, you're going to want to pick this up because it's absolutely beautiful. And if you're of of a certain generation um, or a huge Jack Kirby fan, for that matter. Yeah, you're probably going to want to want to pick this up. So, yeah, I was I almost gave it my book of the week. That's how good it was. But there was one other book that just just barely edged it out. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have uh, a Marvel title. It's Spider-Woman number 16 from writer Carla Pacheco. Art is by Pere Perez. Frank Diarmada handles the colors. Travis Lanham on colors. And this is the final part of this story if i'm if i'm not mistaken uh and it's going to be interesting to see where where carla pacheco goes from from here uh spider woman's a, a fantastic title and has been ever since carla took it over uh what do you think about this issue jay this is one of those books that i look forward to because of the storytelling and the and the art um it's cool because like last issue we had Jessica uh, fighting her brother and I guess uh, his partner Rose. And then uh, this one, we have Jessica and her niece, Rebecca, you know, escaping that. And they're just you know plotting to figure out how to go back and, uh, you know, counterattack. The fight sequence in this is really good. Um, it's got a lot of action. And I really enjoyed that. The details are amazing. Uh, the ending, most of it's pretty much the fighting and, you know, the bickering back and forth. So I don't want to give away too much of that. But the ending is uh, not what I expected. I, I kind of expected, but I didn't expect him to go that way. But it was kind of nice. And they kind of tie up the story, I guess, story arc. And uh, I don't know where they're going to go with the next issue. But it, was, uh, it wasn't like Spider-Man with the uh, Kendra. He didn't drag on. This was, this was it for this. And they're moving on to a different story arc. But I like the way they ended up. So I guess Jessica has uh, another uh, team member, I guess you can say, at the end of this issue. Yeah, well, we the only thing we know about what's coming next is it's going to be with ninjas because it says to be continued with ninjas. Yeah, uh, so I do agree with you about the ending when it went down that way. I was like, huh, that's an interesting choice, and it could work out or probably won't, knowing knowing comics. Uh, but I agree with you; it was action packed, cover to cover. It's pretty much the whole issue is just the fight. Um, but what's great about Carla Pacheco's write, writing style, you mentioned the kind of the bickering and the bantering back and forth. There's always plenty of humor. And uh, I love that because I've never read a Jessica Drew title before where she felt so relatable and kind of, you know, just everyday average woman just trying to, to make it in her crazy superhero life where strange and weird things happen all the time. So, yeah. And the, uh, Pere Perez art is, yeah, it's it's fantastic. And the main cover by uh, Jungjin Yoon is so good, so so good. One of the best, it's, yeah, one of the best Spider Woman covers I've seen in a long time. Fantastic. Yeah, if you were just gonna buy a cover base, a comic base on this cover, I would probably just pick Spider Woman just because the covers are just amazing. Yep. And that's another thing to do with Black Widow too. The covers are amazing, so it's like you got to yep. stop and look and go. Let me pick this up. Yeah, I mean it's Adam Hughes. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, the next book I'm going to talk about it's another image title, and it's called uh, Cross to Bear. And this is a, this is a pretty interesting one. It's a bit of a, a mashup from some some different ideas. So. It's written by Marco Stojanovic. The art is by Sinisa Bonovic. And then the colors, hopefully I can pronounce this right, Jorge Krajnovic with Al Alijoza Tomic. So these are all Eastern European names, obviously. Uh, and then Taylor Esposito, I know I'm saying that one correctly, uh, is the letterer. So this is a really interesting type of, of mashup. So basically, these knights who are so long lived that they took place in the crusades, like way back when, and they were part of this group called the order and they've sort of pledged allegiance to each other uh, and agreed to sort of fight the forces of evil, you know, I guess for all time, we're not really told. Um, 
and then one of them gets sort of tired of all the killing and all the you know he's like whether it's it's just or whether it's deserved or you know whatever the reason at the end of the day it's just we're just killing people and he gets he gets tired of it so he leaves europe and he comes to the u.s to try to um make a life for himself and again a lot of time has gone by uh so he's actually in the in the wild west um running kind of a saloon and this is, as I said, set in the 1800s, Wild West, what have you. So it's around the time of Jack the Ripper. And what we're told is that, and this is told in the solicits, it's not, I mean, I guess it's there subtextually in the first issue, but it's not super obvious. But anyway, it's in the, it's in the solicits, it's in the previews um, for, the, for the book. And so Jack the Ripper knows that people are onto him. And so he doesn't want to get caught. So he flees to the Old West because he figures... Hey, out there, I mean, it's not the old West to him. It's just, you know, the American West where things are kind of savage and sort of lawless. And he figures he can get lost out there. And there's some members of the order that are, uh, that are pursuing him. And then one of them runs into the guy that quit the order and he's asking him for help. And I just want to help. And so again, it's, it's a mashup of a lot of different things, you know, sort of Victorian England mystery of Jack the Ripper with this idea of, of this, uh, this ancient, order or ancient brotherhood that have sworn to, you know, protect innocence and what have you with the order. And uh, that all mashed up with the, the wild West with some, some fantastic art. The main cover is, is just gorgeous to look at with all kinds of detail. And uh, it's a very sort of moody book uh, in terms of the colors. Even when we get out to the West where you normally think of things being, you know, a lot of sort of, brighter colors but obviously some browns and tans and whatnot but even the scenes there are at night and so it's it's much more subdued and it helps set that mood of thinking of this as sort of a secretive uh order and a you know secretive tale with people that sort of live in the shadows uh which also sort of suits jack the ripper uh you know who who definitely attacked from the shadows back in the day so uh just another example of of aftershock giving uh, a voice to a lesser known name as far as a creator. I haven't heard of this, uh, this writer before, um, Marco Stojanovic, but he clearly has passion for the story. Uh, I remember when Aftershock sent out the press release uh, a few months ago and Marco was talking about his love of wet Westerns where he grew up in, in Europe and seen uh, Westerns on television in the afternoons in black and white um, and how it was a big event all the men in his family would gather and they'd watch, watch these uh, American Westerns and how much it sort of inspired him and whatnot. So uh, again, it's a, it's a great title, very much worth your time. I recommend uh, picking it up as I do with most Aftershock titles. Uh, all right. On to Jay's last book. It's uh, from image. It's a top cow book. Speaking of the old West, We've got St. Mercy number three. This is from writer John Zur Platten. Art is by Atilio Rojo. Letters by Troy Petrie. Uh, so if you haven't been following along, this has been telling the story of this girl named Mercy, who's sort of this reincarnation in the Old West of this ancient Incan girl who supposedly got sacrificed in the Peruvian mountains 500 years ago to their god, Um and apparently she's been reincarnated and has been carrying this ink and gold around with her for, I guess, her whole life. And some uh, some bandits, this gang of uh, criminals in the Old West who rob stagecoaches and trains and whatnot, get wind of the gold in this church where this girl lives with her father. And they, they go to try to steal the gold. So that's what's happened in the first couple of uh, issues. And now we get the, the third issue. So what do you think, Jay? Not a bad story. Like I said, it kind of goes back and forth. So we find out uh, that, you know, her family is cursed in this one, you know, and we find out why. Um, in the Western time, because they're both in the past, <laughs> in the Western time past, uh, the bandits find the gold and there's a big uh, shootout. It's that there's a lot of death. Certain people die. You didn't expect to die. You're like, really? Okay. Um, and then the ending's kind of like, okay, now what? But then, you know, I won't give it away, but you're like, okay, so I guess, you know, what's going on with the curse now, but it's not a bad story. Like I said, I think uh, we're talking about, I think we like more of the Western story. We don't really care about the past, but I guess you got to have the past that said, you know, tell us what's going on in the cowboy past, I guess. 
Yeah, well, I feel like the ink and like nothing, not much had happened until this issue. This is the first issue where we saw stuff actually happen back in, you know, 500 years ago in the Peruvian mountains to give the story some context. But you're right with in terms of who who some of the deaths are in this issue that came as a surprise. Like, no, I don't want that person to die. That person's been an interesting part of the story. But what it feels like is it feels like, I mean, the, the whole the the title of the book is called Saint Mercy, and it hasn't felt like Mercy has been a character with a lot of agency. She hasn't felt like the main character of the story. You can almost argue that the the posse, um, you know, the the criminals are are the main characters, or the sheriff who's been after them is the main character. Uh, Mercy has felt like a more a, more of a supporting character, but it definitely feels like the way after the way this issue ends. And from looking at the uh, preview of the cover of issue four, that Mercy is finally going to kind of step up and be the main character of the story um, going forward. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, a lot of good Western stuff coming out this week. So definitely check that out if you are a fan of Westerns. Uh, all right. My last book I'm going to talk about is my book of the week. Uh, it's Inferno number two from writer Jonathan Hickman. Stefano Caselli is the artist. David Curiel does the colors. Joe Sabino on letters and Tom Muller on design. This is the last X-Men story that, that Jonathan Hickman personally is going to write. You're going to see his fingerprints on the, the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe for many years going forward. He's, you know, he's the one that set up the, the teams, uh, the creative teams and, and the people who are writing the books going forward. And they're all kind of following his plan and his outline or whatnot, but he's moving on to other stuff. So this is the last story and it's sort of a fitting one because he's going back and pulling so much from a lot of the ideas he put in powers of X and house of X, these ideas and, and plot threads and whatnot that we were first introduced to, you know, all the couple years ago when he did it two three years whatever it was um and a lot of them he hasn't touched since and now we're getting all of those plot threads picked back up and it's fantastic because i don't think anybody does the sort of the politics and the interpersonal sort of relationships and uh idiosyncrasies and interactions better than than jonathan hickman uh and he raises like really interesting questions and he he portrays both sides equally well. So you can, you can see why characters have the motivation to do what they're doing. And you can also see why characters who are opposing them, like what their viewpoint is. So it's all about living in the gray and, and Hickman just presents it sort of unbiased without um, making us feel like he's choosing one side or the other. Like when you read this, it's, it's like, okay. Um, who's who's the quote-unquote good guys here and who's the bad guys you know what i mean because uh, there's different factions and they all have their own ideas about what's best for mutant kind and whatnot so i mean i don't want jonathan hickman to leave the x-men corner of the marvel universe because we get when he's sort of the showrunner of it we get stories like this and i think we need stories like this and they're they're fascinating and it it they make you think, you know, which is, are some of my favorite sort of stories. And, you know, a lot of the best comic stories I'm reading right now aren't coming from the big two. DC feels like it's in a bit of a rut. Marvel feels like it's been in a bit of a rut for a while. Um, but every once in a while, Hickman or Jerry Dugan or somebody will come up with a fantastic idea. And it, it, it really sort of raises the bar for a particular um, story or whatnot. So that's been Kelly Thompson on Captain Marvel and Black Widow and Carla Pacheco on uh, on Spider-Woman for the longest time, other than Hickman's Powers of X and House of X. I even think the Dawn of X stuff wasn't, it didn't rise to that level. Um, it was a little more paint by the numbers, but with this Inferno series, I feel like Hickman's back firing on all cylinders, giving us one last awesome send-off with, uh, with the X-Men. So I had to give it my book of the week. And the art is fantastic as well. Super detailed, great color work very evocative of that house of X powers of X style. So Stefani, uh, Stefano Coselli does a fantastic job with that. So, uh, all right, let me give a rundown on some of the other books. And again, I'm, I'm going to read off from comic list, the books that are supposed to be out today. I think they're all going to be there, but again, some of them may have been delayed. I just didn't hear about it. So 
Um, from Aftershock, we mentioned Cross to Bear and uh, Search for Hue number two. There's also um, the trade paperback for Maniac of New York, volume one, and the trade paperback for Nuclear Family, volume number one. Uh, over at, see, there, I guess there's nothing from uh, AWA this week, which is usually, uh, oh no, there they are. Uh, sorry about that. Anyway, yeah, AWA, uh, Marjorie Finnegan, Temporal Criminal, number six. That's a Garth Innes time travel story, which has been a, a lot of fun. It's up to issue number six, so there's two more to come. Also, Moths, number five of six, which is set in the um, sort of the connected resistance universe that J. Michael Straczynski uh, is writing. And speaking of that, Resistance Uprising trade paperback uh, is out as well. It's volume one, uh, and AWA does the, the same thing, image and, and value do. When it's a volume one trade paperback, it's only 10 bucks, so $9.99. Uh, over at Boom Studios, we've got um, subsequent printings of Basilisks, which is um, Cullen Bunn's horror series. So we've got a third printing for issue number one, a third printing for issue number two, and a second printing for issue number three. And um, the reason I mentioned those, first of all, it's a very good series, but second of all, I, want, I forgot to mention in re regards to the paper shortage, Image announced earlier this week that they're not going to do any subsequent printing. So you get one, one printing of each book from now to the end of the year, uh, at least, or maybe until the paper shortage is over. So it's going to be a lot tougher for, um, for retailers to order their books because if you don't order enough and you sell out something super popular, Image isn't going to be doing subsequent reprints. So that could be good for speculators. I guess we'll see. Uh, the other big book that's coming out from Boom Studios and again, this may be one you'd want to pick up uh, because if they're, who knows if Boom's going to be able to reprint it, but it's House of Slaughter, number one. It ties in with the um, Something is Killing the Children with Erica Slaughter, which is the super mega popular series that James Tynan started over there a few years ago, which has been optioned for TV and whatnot. Uh, also, Once in Future from Kieran Gellin and Dan Moore is up to issue number 21. And then Al Ewing's book, We Only Find Them When They're Dead, is up to issue uh, number nine over at DC. And uh, I'll take the time to remind everybody that if you're curious about the DC book, we covered them yesterday on our DC Spotlight with spoilers, unlike the New Comics Wednesday episode, which, which is spoiler-free. But these are the books we talked about. Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target, number one, written by Brandon Top. Also, Aquaman, The Becoming, number two of six, also written by Brandon Thomas. There's a Batman Fortnite Foundation, number one, one-shot, written by Scott Snyder and Christos Gage with Donald Mustard. There's a Batman, The Long Halloween Special, which reunites Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Uh, Checkmate, number five of six, from Brian Michael Bendis. That series is almost over, thank God. Uh, started a new, really fantastic miniseries from James Tynan and Matthew Rosenberg, which is sort of a mashup of horror and DC. It's DC versus vampires, number one of 12. Definitely had a little bit of a deceased feel, but a little bit more humor. It's outside of regular continuity. And uh, yeah, the first issue was a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, the second issue of Deathstroke Incorporated from Joshua Williamson. Detective Comics, number 1044, written by, by Mariko Tamaki, with Dan Mora on art, which continues the Fear State event. Harley Quinn, number eight from Stephanie Phillips, art by Riley Rosmo, also a Fair State tie-in. We've got Robin, number seven. We've got Task Force Z, number one, which uh, feels a little bit like Suicide Squad, but if the Suicide Squad were inhabited by resurrected bat family villains and led by the Red Hood, and if that sounds as crazy uh, to you as it did to me, you're going to love it, because I sure did. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg. Fantastic art from the trio of Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, and Adriana Lucas on colors. Uh, Wonder Girl number four is finally out. Uh, came out yesterday as well. And then Wonder Woman Black and Gold number five of six, which I really hope DC takes a break from doing those limited color palette books once Wonder Woman Black and Gold comes to an end. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, okay, over at image like i said i'm not sure which of these is coming out tomorrow what's actually going to be there what came out last week so i'm just going to run down what's listed here ant number one from eric larson which we covered last week and some shops got last week some shops are getting this week uh chew number nine 
I mentioned crossover from Donnie Cates. I think it's coming out. We didn't get a press preview. I'm not sure why, but I know my local shop got one uh, or got that, that book in. So that's going to be out tomorrow. Um, Hell cop number one, again, don't know why we didn't get a preview for that. Good Asian number six of 10 from porn sack Alex Stefani on art. Again, I don't know why we didn't get a preview. I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen it. I, I don't think my local shop got copies. So that might be one that's coming out later, but it's a fantastic series. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, continuing King spawn number three, which again, I think some shops got it last week, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, mom, mother of madness, number three of three, which finishes off that mini series from Amelia Clark. I did read the final issue. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was as groundbreaking as the first issue was. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's predictable, but it's, it ends in sort of a feel good way. Like you would uh, expect it to. And I, I definitely think that that, that series, uh, mom, mother of mayhem, it's all about female empowerment and kind of sisterhood. And I, I liked what Amelia Clark had to say about, about it. She, maybe she didn't do the greatest job. I was a little critical of her when she was promoting it on some late night talk shows. Cause she wasn't even mentioning any of her collaborators, like her co-writers or the artists. Um, but you know, rookie mistake. Uh, I still think it's worth reading. And you know, if she can, she's a big name cause she was in game of Thrones and if she can get more people reading comics, I'm all for that. Uh, made in Korea, number five of six, which again, I talked about last week. I thought it came out last week, but maybe it's not until this week. I don't know. It should be out. It's really good. Uh, Mariko Andofo's Sweet Paprika, number four of 12. I know that was supposed to come out last week, but got delayed to this week. There's a new number one called Nita Hawks. Oh, I'm sorry. Nita Haas Nightmare Blog, number one, that a lot of people have been talking about. Didn't get a chance to check it out yet. Primordial number two of six is listed. But again, like I mentioned earlier, I, I don't know if it actually came out. We didn't get a preview copy. Second Chances, number three which that's another series that I've been reading and has been a little dense and hard to figure out, but I, I feel like it's really good, but it's something that I th need to like sit down and reread all three first issues without any distractions and really try to wrap my head around what's going on because it seems like it's a really dense story, but a really complicated and good story. I just need to take the time to kind of invest in it a little bit. Spawn number 323 from Todd McFarlane. Uh, Walking Dead Deluxe number 25 from Robert Kirkman. Again, if you're not familiar with Walking Dead Deluxe, it's basically reprints of the black and white, one of the most popular comics of the last 20 years, uh, but colored. So this is Walking Dead issue number 25 in color instead of black and white. Uh, okay, over at Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 77, which continues the Beyond storyline uh, with Ben Riley as Spider-Man and Peter Parker stuck in a coma in the hospital. Daredevil number 35, which brings the multiple bullseye clone storyline to uh, a close. I did get a chance to read that one. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. It, it, it was good. The action was good. But at the same time, I feel like it was a little bit of a letdown. That, that series was so emotional before we've gotten to like the last three or four issues. That I, and I really enjoyed the emotion that uh, Chip Zarsky was bringing to it. But then I've talked about how he's sort of the story has been moving so fast and had so much action. There haven't been a lot of character moments to bring emotion into it, but I felt like that was okay because he gave us so much emotion early on, but maybe the emotion ran out for me. Uh, and I don't know this issue. It just fell a little flat, but I may just need to read it again and see how I feel about it. A uh, dark hold blade number one, which is sort of an alternate history of, of blade. Now that, you know, he read the, the book of dark hold and has been corrupted. So that was an interesting read. Uh, we already talked about Inferno also over in the, uh, X-Men corner of the Marvel universe Marauders number 25 is out today. Uh, we've got Moon Knight number four, which again, didn't get a preview copy that was supposed to come out last week. Um, but got delayed to this till this week. And then when Marvel sent me the, the preview copies for whatever reason, it, it wasn't there. So will that actually be in comic shops I, I i have i have no idea it's got a really cool steve mcniven cover though so i don't know i'm i'm looking forward to reading it i want to read it um that series has been a little up and down but i'm still interested so we'll see if that's there sword number nine which is another book that got delayed from last week um we talked about spider woman star wars we've got star wars Darth vader number 17 
and Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunter IG-88 number one one shot. Uh, and finally, uh, Wolverine number 17. So uh, like I said, there's uh, there's a lot of books out this week. Oh, and I, I should also mention there's a new Harbinger number one from Valiant, which uh, I want to check out, but just haven't had time to do so yet. So again, there's a lot of books, but I don't know what actually is going to be there and what is not. So uh, any other titles that I missed, Jay, that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, it's from uh, Scout Comics, uh, We Don't Kill Spiders, number two. It's actually been pretty fun. It's uh, during the Viking Age, so it's like a Viking detective working with uh, the witches. So if you like all that uh, Viking stuff, it should be it's, it's a fun read. And uh, Daredevil, you're right. I read that, uh, the ending. I kind of saw that coming, just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, my book of the week would have to be Spider Woman because I just love that title. Yeah, that's a great choice uh, for me, Inferno. So, yeah, I, man, I can't remember the last time we both picked the Marvel books. That's a good sign that Marvel's uh, bouncing back from some mediocre comics over the last few years. So, uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Hope you uh, found some some books that you're going to pick up. Again, apologies because of the paper shortage if we're talking about stuff that doesn't actually hit stands tomorrow or the fact that we missed some stuff. I mean, if we if they don't send us the preview copies, it makes it really hard for us to review it, even if we are uh, reviewing it spoiler-free. So anyway, that's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Happy Halloween. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.